We're looking at Revelation chapter 3. You get two churches left. Yay. And this is the one that we're all, we all want to be part of the uh, Philadelphia church. Why? Because it's only one of two churches of the seven. He has nothing negative to say about. And the other one's Smyrna. And we don't want to be the suffering church, so we want to be this church here. And and uh, I, um, I, I think all I'll do is we'll read it and then we'll pray. And which is kind of how I've been going along right, right along. Starting verse 7, To the angel of the church in Philadelphia write, These things saith he that is holy, he that is true, he that hath the key of David, he that openeth and no man shutteth, and shutteth and no man openeth. I know thy works. Behold, I have set before thee an open door, and no man can shut it. For thou hast a little strength, and hast kept my word, and hast not denied my name. Behold, I will make them of the synagogue of Satan, which say they are Jews and are not, but do lie. Behold, I will make them to come and worship before thy feet and to know that I have loved thee. Because thou hast kept the word of my patience, I also will keep thee from the hour of temptation which shall come upon all the world to try them that dwell upon the earth. Behold, I come quickly. Hold that fast which thou hast, that no man take thy crown. Him that overcometh will I make a pillar in the temple of my God, and he shall go no more out, and I will write upon him the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, which is New Jerusalem, which cometh down out of heaven from my God, and I will write upon him my new name. He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. Let's, let's pray. Father, we think it's a divine appointment that we're here today, and we pray that you would take advantage of that and speak into our hearts the things that you want us to know. And bless us and thrill us, Lord, because these are blessing words and they are thrilling to my soul. And I pray that it would be to others as well. And Lord, if you have something to say to us, well, we have an ear to hear, so go ahead and speak. In Jesus' name, amen. I had a dream the other night. And Susan, when I woke up, she said, were you dreaming? I said, yeah, I was. I was in New York City where the church was. This church was located, but none of you were there. And it was a big church, but it was out in the street. It was kind of weird. And I was, it was, I, I know I had to teach on the Church of Philadelphia. I know that it was up next, right? And they, it was weird because they put the podium in the back. So I was behind everyone, not facing everyone. And when I get up to the podium, I was, this is weird. And, and people started leaving because they thought, man, the guy doesn't know what he's doing. Stuff like that. So I finally got the podium situation straightened out. So it, and then my Bible wasn't there. Somebody took my Bible and hid it or something. So, so then I got a King James Bible, and this lady, like, off to the side, this old, she's like 105, and she gave me this Bible, and it was about this big, and it had, like, a cloth cover, and I opened it up, and it was, like, big as a matchbook, no lie, and I opened up the Revelation, I'm like, you're kidding me, right, I can't, I can't do anything with this, so I, I handed it back to her, I, I gave it to the guy, and he threw it at her, like, in disgust, like, what are you, and she's like, what's the matter, dearie, you can't read that, and I'm like, no, oh, I can't, and so, like, people saw him throwing it, and they got disgusted, and some people laughed, and and then, like, um, you know, and they weren't uh, happy with me because I, I wasn't prepared in my Bible. And so I went in my trunk of my car, and I had a car. It was a sedan. I don't know. And I opened it up, and I grabbed my Bible, and I ran back up and opened it up, and it was a Hebrew Bible, all in Hebrew, which I don't read. And, and now people are all, like, disgusted. Now it's down to, like, about six people, you know, and all this, like, kind of... and. And I, I woke up, and I was trying, and I was, oh, and there was this one guy, and he was arguing with everyone, he was fighting, and I was trying to, like, you know, sh can somebody shut him up and get him, and I'm trying to, like, you know, yell, hey, shut up, you know, and try to, 
and none of it was going well. <laughs> That's an understatement. And I wasn't like really super prepared, which happened never. I mean, I would, that would be the, the I, you know, come up, I, I haven't looked at this, I don't know what I'm talking about. I have, happened, that never happens. That never happens. I, I'm, I'm, I do my homework. I'm, I think you'll testify that. I don't have a problem with telling you what this is. I have a problem with shrinking down so that I can get it done in one. So, you know, and I woke up and, and I had to go to the little boy's room because I'm old. And uh, so I was praying. I said, like, what was that all about? And he said, you know, this is a real spiritual thing. I, I felt like God was speaking in my heart. And, and I was reminded of the spirituality of this whole thing about it's not on me. It's not on how well I do. It's on the Spirit of God, and it's God's Word, and God will bless it. And for real, stuff is happening here. Uh, Satan is not ambivalent about this, and especially about this passage here. He would attack us. Remember what I said at the beginning? I said, expect a satanic attack. Any of you guys, any, you don't have to. If you, I see some of you nodding. You're not raising your hand. Well, if you lost your job, wouldn't that kind of be a satanic attack? I didn't lose my job because I was teaching Revelation. I mean, I can't, there's no... But now, if I was the kind of person who was like, oh my goodness, I lost my job, and then I could really see how that could be a real, but because we, we trust God in our circumstances, and I'm back to gainful employment, and I was out for a week and a half, mostly because we chose to be out that long, and big deal, right? But there's, there'll be attacks, there is, because this is like a for real spiritual thing happening, and the heavens... And the, uh, the, beneath the earth, the, them, them ones down there, the, the, the hellions, the, it, there's people who have a stake in this, the beings, I should say. And, and nobody's ambivalent. God wants to bless us. God wants us to be obedient. He wants us to have an ear to hear. Satan and his minions would like the seed as a, as a throne, the seed that falls on the high ground. They would come and they would pick it up, as the parable tells us. And there's no kind of neutral in any of this. And I want you to understand that. Fight for the blessing. Grab it. Grab it like a rabbit. Say, look, I want that. I want to. And, you know, we're, we're, we're responsible for how we hear. And I'm, I, I know I'm responsible for presenting. I get that. Okay? But you can be a wonderful gospel presenter and teach. And people just walk around and say, no thanks. Look at People heard Paul preach and stoned him for his efforts. People heard Jesus preached and crucified him. So I, I don't want to compare myself to Paul and Jesus. Don't, don't get me wrong. But just because it doesn't matter how well you present. If people's heart are, are, are against receiving, well, let's trust that that's not the case here. Okay, chapter 3, verse 7. Unto the angel of the church in Philadelphia, right? That's Joe Foch. Okay, no problem. We get, we get that. Philadelphia, what's that mean? Uh... I, it has something to do with obnoxious sports fans. I don't know exactly. Uh, it, it's the city of brotherly love. We all know that. Uh, in the Philadelphia one in Pennsylvania, they say it's the city of brotherly shove. But I, I've never been there, so I don't, I don't know. But it's probably like most metropolitan areas, rude in the extreme. I am from Boston. They do rude better than just about anyone I know. And if you ever think that I'm rude, I come by it honestly. That's all I can say. And I don't make that as an excuse. I shouldn't be rude. I know. It's the, but this is a city, and it's, of course, in the western part of Turkey, like all the other cities are. And it was a kind of a gateway between the east and the west. It was a trade route, and many people going you know, hither and yon, back and forth between Europe and Asia, would go through Philadelphia. And 
um, Alexander the Great set it up to as a, a evangelical city, but they, he wasn't trying to evangelize people to the gospel of Jesus Christ. He's trying to evangelize them to Hellenistic or the Greek culture. And so they, it was very metropolitan. It was a big city, and they called it Little Athens. It was beautiful. It had all kinds of temples in it, and, and like all the other pagan cities had. And as people came, they would try to win them to the Hellenistic. And, and it worked to a large degree. Greek replaced the, it was Lydian before that, and it replaced the tongue of Lydia, whatever that was. I can't even remember all these things I learn all the time. Anyway, it, it kind of worked out that way. And people were pleasant, and they know how to deal with strangers, and they were winsome, and they tried to win them to their culture. And then as the gospel came, and they tried to win them to their gospel. And you don't know about the Philadelphian church in anywhere except in, in the book of the Revelation. We don't read about it in Acts or anything else. How was it born? How did, how did, we, how did it come to We don't know. Um, now, Jesus is talking to the church of Philadelphia, and he introduces himself. These things says, he that is holy, he that is true, he that hath the key to David, he that openeth and no man shutteth, and shutteth and no man openeth. Let's take these one at a time. If I asked you for a definition of holy, we were just singing about it. But not, I don't think five Christians in a hundred could do a credible job of defining holiness. Isn't that like being sanctimonious and like, don't like, you know, swearing and stuff like that. And, uh, you know, being holy, isn't that like being real religious? Uh, no, not at all. Um, being holy, God is holy. Is God religious? No, he's a being. I, I hate that. People say, you're religious. I know what they mean, but no. I think like Adam and Eve and God in the garden. What religion was Adam? If you ask him, he'd say, what are you talking about? I, religion, I don't even know that word. He'd say, well, you believe in God. Yeah, here he comes now. We're going to hang out. We're going to just have fellowship. And it's going to be so cool. And there was God and there was man. And religion, it's from the Latin, relingere. It means to re, reconnect, hook up. or And it's man's device to try to gain access to God. No, I'm not real religious. I don't think holiness has anything to do with religion. God is holy. What does that mean? Separate. Everything that is, is, is comes into two categories. Creator or created. You would be in the created. I would be in the created. Satan would be in the created. And so would um, doves and eels and cauliflower and mountains and rainbows. And everything that is, is created by God. And God alone is holy. He's separate. He's other. He's not. And so uh, when we talk about you being holy, what are, we, what are we saying? We're set apart. It still is the idea of a partner. We're set apart for God's purpose. I'm holy. God doesn't mean I'm sanctimonious. It means I'm for God's purpose. And when you figure that out, oh, that's such a help. It makes... So may our decisions so much easier. Jesus is holy. Is he set apart for God's purpose? Of course he is. Is he set apart because he's God? Of course. Is he set apart from sin? And I think that's the context. Of course he is. Of course, sin can't touch him. Satan tried. And if you, and if you read the account of uh, 
the, the, you know, the wilderness temptation of Jesus Christ. I score at Jesus 3, Satan yet to be heard from. Skunk. Zip. Nada. Did he, did he win? No. No, he tried to tempt Jesus with sinning, and Jesus was like, no, not here, not now, no how, no way. He's separate. He's separate from sin. He is true. Now, it doesn't mean what he's saying is truth, although that is correct. When he's talking about the word here for true means genuine. In, in contradistinction to all the other false gods that Philadelphia and other cities of the seven would worship. Hey, I'm the real McCoy, Jesus is saying. I'm the authentic. I am the God. Uh, I, people hate when we talk like that. You know, we're in a multi, multicultural society. You know, you, you come in, you bring your gods with you. And I'm like, okay, that's fair enough. We don't have a national religion. I mean, we really don't. We have laws against that. And I'm okay with that. That, that's fine. No, I, don't, I wouldn't make people be Christian if I could. I, how could you? People have tried, and it's ended up as a miserable failure. But we can talk. And let me tell you something about Jesus. I don't care. I don't care if people get, their, their minds explode when I say it. He's the real deal. He's the authentic. He is the God. And he says as much. Uh, and, and that means all the other ones are false gods. Um, he that is true. And now he that hath the key of David. Now, up until now, he's uh, used chapter 1. You know, I'm this, I'm this. And it all came from chapter 1. I'm, I'm he that has the sharp two-edged sword. And we understood that from chapter 1. I'm he that this and I'm he that that. I'm he that walks among the candlesticks. And we all read that from chapter 1. We say, now he's gone off the board. And he said, I'm he that hath the key of David. And we're thinking, like, what are you talking about? He that openeth and no man shutteth and shutteth and no man openeth. You know why this is such a mystery? To us, in general, because we don't know our Old Testament, and shame on us for not knowing. I'm, I'm, I'm trying. I'm working towards rectifying that, and I'm, and I'll. Well, let's help. Isaiah chapter twenty-two. Okay. Well, we'll look at what he's talking about, and if you are very conversant, you say, "Oh, wow, he's making reference to Isaiah chapter twenty-two." Go there if you'd be so kind. Um, verse 20 of Isaiah 22, and it will come to pass in that day I will call my servant Eliakim, the son of Hilkiah. There's a, a, a bad treasure. Isaiah uh, is prophesying at the time that they're going to be overrun by the Assyrians, and they're just partying, and they're just like, eh, if it's going to happen, it's going to happen. Let's just, you know, eat, drink, and be merry for tomorrow. We're all going to die kind of, kind of idea. And they have this um, guy, and he's, he's a bad guy. And so God's going to use Eliakim, the son of Hilkiah, to replace him. And I will close him with thy robe. And Eliakim becomes a very provocative and a very crisp, clear, concise Christ type in the Old Testament. I will clothe him with thy robe and strengthen him with thy girdle. And will I, commit, I will commit thy government into his hand. And the government shall be upon his shoulders. Huh. Uh, and he shall be a father to the inhabitants of Jerusalem and to the house of Judah. And the key of the house of David will I lay upon his shoulder. So he shall open and none shall shut. And he shall shut and none shall open. Is that what Jesus is referring to? Of course there is. There's no question about it. It's too, it's too connect the dots. It's too, it's, it's too obvious. You can't say it's not. And I will fasten him as a nail in a sure place. And he shall be for a glorious throne to his father's house. That's very Christ-like, isn't it? It goes beyond Eliakim. 
Uh, I fasten him as a nail in a show place. you ever remember another place in Scripture where Jesus called a nail or a peg or something that like you can hang things on? And that's the idea here. And he shall be for a glorious throne in his father's house. Read here, kingdom. And they shall hang upon him all the glory of his father's house. The offspring and the issue, all vessels of small quantity, even the vessels of cups, even to all the vessels of vessels of flagons. In that day, and by the way, if you're a Wednesday night person, you know then in that day is Holy Spirit code word for eschatological end time events. Right? We we all got that. Wednesday night crowd got that, and that Sunday morning crowd has to know that too. In that day means end times. Saith the Lord of hosts, shall the nail that is fastened in the short place, that's Jesus Christ, be removed and be cut down. One of the many places in the Old Testament talks about the death of Jesus Christ. That's the removal and cutting down. Give you another example, Daniel chapter 9. We read about that in our, in our escapades on Wednesday night. How about uh, Psalm 22? How about Isaiah 53? And again, you know, and they shall look upon him. They shall look upon me whom they have pierced. Many places in the Old Testament talks about the death of Jesus Christ. This is one of them. He shall be cut down and fall, and the burden that was upon it shall be cut off, for the Lord hath spoken it. But the part I wanted to show you was, and the key of the house of David will lay upon his shoulder, so, so he shall open, none sh shall shut, and he shall shut, and none shall open. The idea is access. Okay? Uh, access here to the treasury and to the blessings thereof. The other guy was a profligate. This guy, the Eliakim, uh, he's he's the real deal. He's he's uh, you don't have to worry about him. He's not gonna you know partake or anything like that. So when when we go back to uh, Revelation chapter three, and please do that. Revelation three says, "He that is true, he that hath the key of David, he that openeth, no man shutteth, and shutteth, and no man openeth." When Jesus opens a door, is that do you, do you have any idea what that means? Um, I have an idea of what I, I use it to mean. We were at uh, Calvary Chapel in Bangor, and it was back when all the churches were closed by our fair governess had closed them. And uh, Justin Harvey, who uh, is a, a friend of mine and just one of the best guys I know, he was quoting this, and he was talking about Jesus Christ opens a door, and no man shuts it and shuts it, and no man opens it. And it was at the time when doors of the church were closed and God spoke to my heart and when I open a door you just, that, that's all there is to it and I had made up my mind at that time I don't care what the governor says I care what Jesus Christ says and when he says it's time to close shop here let the door be closed Besides, when he closed it you couldn't open it anyway but when he says open door go for it and don't ever let anyone else determine what only Jesus Christ should determine. But that's not what this is saying here. I just use it in that context because, you know, that's how, I don't want to get into it now because it'll take a long time. That's how Scripture works sometimes. God will take a verse, put a little twist in it and say, here you go. And it doesn't mean what he means it to you to mean, and that's it. He gives us the verse. Do you, anyone ever notice how that, you know, you know what I mean, right? He's, he's done that for you. He said, okay, this is what this means to you for this situation. I wouldn't teach it, but I, he's thrilled my heart that way and, and used his word in a very living way to, to, to speak to me in a situation. And by the way, when he does that, I'd rather have that than a million dollars. I'll tell you, it just it is so cool. Anyway, 
I, I know your works. Behold, I have set before thee an open door. That's the key. That's the key to the key. That's, that's what it's all about. I've set before you an open door. When he sets before you an open door, do you know what that means scripturally? He's quoting, I think, Paul the Apostle. No way. Way. First, because you won't see Jesus saying that. Not, no place that I know about. But let's go to 1 Corinthians chapter 16. First Corinthians 16, verse 9. For a great door and effectual is opened unto me, and there are many adversaries. People say to me, hey, how's the church going? And I'll say, for a great door and effectual is opened unto me, and there are many adversaries. And by the way, just because it's an open door doesn't mean there won't be adversaries. There's always adversaries. If the gospel's going out, there's always adversaries. Again, I will say to you, and I say to you many times, Satan is not ambivalent about God's work in a community in a family, or in a person's life. He's not, oh, well, they're getting the gospel, nothing I can do about it. Well, there's plenty he will try to do about it. For a great door and effectual is opening. What's Paul talking about? He's talking about gospel opportunities. So when Jesus quotes him in Revelation 3, what is Jesus talking about? Gospel opportunities. Uh, you know, I've said, by the way, you know, in the historic, I've been talking about this all along, right? Ephesians, the apostolic church, Smyrna, the suffering church, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Sardis, that we talked about last week, is the Protestant Reformation, as far as I understand. This here is, I would call it the missionary church, the evangelical church, starting in, some people put 1700, some put like mid-1700, like 1750. And when will it end? When Jesus comes back. Last four churches, Thyatira, the Roman church. Will it be here when Jesus returns? Yes, it will. Sardis, the... Protestant Reformation Church, will that be here when Jesus returns? Yes, it will. The Philadelphia, the Missionary Church, will it be here when Jesus returns? Yes, it will. The lousy Laodicean, lukewarm, makes you want to puke church, will that be here when Jesus comes back? Yes, it will. All the last four, the, the terminus is the return of Jesus Christ. Some of them will go on over into the tribulation. Jesus promises Thyatira, shape up, or you're gonna, I'm going to cast you into the, the great tribulation. The promise to Philadelphia is you won't go through the tribulation, but we'll get there. Okay, uh, I know your works. So I'm set before you an open door. No man can shut it, praise God. Do you, would you like more open door opportunities in your life? No one? <laughs> yeah. Uh, how, how many uh, have experienced an open door in their life? How many have experienced a closed door and it's been very frustrating, uh, like towards like family members very often? Closed door and open door, whatever you want, God. Just because he's closed in this one area doesn't mean... Listen, if I could convince you of one thing this morning, I would convince you this. God wants to use you in his kingdom, to further his kingdom. God wants to use you. Oh, no, not me. I'm this and I'm that. And I'm, you're a child of God. He saved you for a reason. He saved you for a purpose. He wants you to share the gospel. He wants you to... You know, I think if you're a mom or a grandmom or a granddad or, or something like this and you pour your spirituality into your family, into your grandfamily, into your... Awesome, awesome, awesome sauce. You're doing incredible, incredible work. That's, that's, that's crazy good. What about if you, have a, you open your house, you have a Bible study, you invite people in, you share the gospel with them, just have you know Bible study. Awesome, awesome. Just so you, you know, you talk and conversing with people and you just have opportunity to share. Or you purposefully go to a place and have a Bible study there. Or whatever 
You know, when you come and go and in your work, in your does God want to use you? I'm telling you he does. Well, I'm not. Stop. Anything you say after that, that's Satan talking. That's not God talking. Okay? Just want you to know. Yes, Jesus wants to use you. He will give you an open door. If he shuts one, that just means not over here. Do you remember when uh, in the book of Acts, Paul's saying, okay, let's go here. And it says, but the Spirit forbade him, them, because he's with Luke, and Luke's talking. Luke says, the Spirit forbade us. And he says, we'll go over here. And that was a closed door. He said, well, so they're praying about where to go next. And Paul has a vision in the night, and it, it's um, the man of Macedonia says, come over here and help us. And that, he, he meets this, that's Lydia, turns out to be in there, at, at Philippi, and on and on it goes. Aren't you happy the gospel went to Philippi? That's the first avenue where Paul started preaching the gospel in what's known today as Europe, and then the gospel spread across Europe. Most of us are of European descent. Aren't you glad that the Spirit worked it out that way? I mean, uh, it's not, no, I hate you, I'm not using you. It's, no, I don't want that you to do that. I want you to do this. And, like, I think God's given me a closed door when it comes to my son. Why? Because he's a knucklehead like me, and fathers and sons in general. It's just, it's bad mojo. And it's not like I'm a failure. It's not that, I think God's working in his life, and he's going to bring him to, but it's going to be me. Is that frustrating? Oh, yeah, it is. Yeah. And so what do you do? Just give, take the opportunities God gives you. Give you open doors elsewhere. And just, I said, I've got an open door. Well, the government will try to, the government, God, God, Jesus Christ, the creator says, I'm giving you open door. I don't care who doesn't like the Philadelphia church. Nobody's going to be able to do what God says, no, you ain't. Well, we'll pass laws. No, you won't. When God opens the door, it's open. Now there are, by the way, at this period of time, there's no country in, a, in the whole wide world where, the, where people can't freely go and share the gospel. I'm not saying there wouldn't be persecution, but there wasn't any government sponsored. Like, I think it's like 20-something countries right now. Maybe it might be 30-something where you cannot go and preach the gospel. They will not let you into the country. And having gone into the country, they will arrest you. But at this time, when this happened, you know, the whole world was open to the gospel. And I think that, and you know, history will record that. No, no one's going to shut it. And when I shut it, guess what? No one's going to open it either. I know your works. Always a good thing. I've set before you an open door that no one can shut. For thou hast a little strength, verse 8, and hast kept my word, and hast and, and not denied my name. Now, people say little strength. Well, that's a bad thing. You know, they only got a little strength. He's, he's talking about it's a little church with a little strength. This is not a big, wonderful this isn't a mega church. It's a very small church. Does that ring a bell? But they're very faithful. You know, one of the problems with a, with a, a mega church, when you got big church, a lot of people come, a lot of people come, a lot of people come, unsaved people, sinful people, twisted people, looking for opportunities to do mayhem and harm. A small church is a, is, is a more intimate fellowship, and it's it can be good in some ways. Jesus He's not like, I love megachurches, little small churches, I hate them. Did you ever see any verse that it would even remotely talk about like the size of a church and how God's 
feeling is toward it. And it's God's blessing and bringing more people. Well, that's a good thing. I mean, we're not, okay, just us four, no more, close the door, right? We're not ever like that. But the, but the, but the end thing is, when you, when you have a lot of people, you have a lot of issues, too. Just, just saying. And he's saying, you know, you're just a little church. You've got a little strength. And he's not, this is not, he's not poking them. Hey, you just got a little strength. You've got to get some more power. And you've got to, that's not what he's saying. I know people want to make it that. But he's saying, you know what? You're a little church. You've got a little strength. Only because you're a little church. But you know what I love about you guys? You know what thrills my heart? You know what captures, ravishes my heart? You, you've kept my word and you haven't denied my name. Is it important to keep God's word? Listen, what else is more important? I don't be that. If I'm, if I'm anything in my whole life, I want to keep God's word. You know, I like verse by verse. I don't skip over the, the, the stuff that's awkward and I don't want to talk about. It's awkward to me and I talk about it. The stuff that's like, I don't want to touch that with a 10-foot pole. What do I do? Plow right in. Fools rush in where angels fear to tread. I'll, I'll demonstrate right here, right now. God told me early on, I don't want an editor. I want a proclaimer. I want you to teach. I don't want you to change. I don't want you to soften. You know, people who preach like, you know, sermons and just talk about, you know, giving or talk about faith or talk about, these are good things. I'm not even being critical, but you never get around. There's some parts here that you'll never get around to because guess what? That's awkward and I don't want to talk about that. And so the church doesn't have instructions in a lot of things because that's how it goes. And God says, in my thinking, the way I look at it, start in Genesis, end in Revelation, uh, and then when I get to Revelation, I get to retire. <laughs> no, repeat. Uh, I'll tell you when you get to retire. When the trumpet blows and I say, Adam, come up here. That's when you can retire. Until then, just keep keeping on. This, every verse, we don't skip verses. Why? Um, you have kept my word. I, I don't care. Is, it, is, it, is, there a, is there a temptation not to keep his word in the place where... Uh, Hey, gender's a very fluid thing, and you can be anything you want. Uh, is there, is there, is there, and people can marry whoever people want to marry. You can't, I don't care what gender is, I don't care if you have multiplicity of what, you, the Bible has nothing to say to any of that. Oh, it has plenty to say that. And the people, is there a pressure for us to not keep his word? Listen, one promise, that's the only one I make. We, we want to keep his word. And I would trust, the day that stops, that the elders would grab me and run me out of town on a rail and you'd never hear my name ever again. And that would be a blessing in the long run. We don't deny his word and we keep his word and we don't deny his name. We don't, we're not, we don't blush to speak the name Jesus Christ. Everyone gets all tensed up. I don't care. You, know, you can say God. I, I've said this a thousand times. You say God. Hey, God bless you. And people, okay. You say Jesus, and eh, people get a little squishy about that. Why? He's the Savior. He comes to save us from our sin. People know it. That's where they get nerved up, and that's why they don't like. Hey, deal with it. I'm, I'm, you have not denied my name. I will make them of the synagogue of Satan, which say they are Jews and not. They lie, by the way. I will make them come and worship before thy feet, and to know that I have loved thee. Hey, you got a lot of persecution happening there. There's a people of the synagogue of Satan. Well, they say they're Jews, but they're not any real 
kindred of Abraham in the sense of Abraham was a man of faith. They're not. What am I going to do to them? I'll show them. I'm going to save them, is what Jesus says. If you look at the language, I will make them to come and worship, latrio, bow down and worship. Are they going to worship you? We wouldn't have it. We wouldn't, we wouldn't let people worship us. By the way, that's just something you should know right off the bat. Don't ever worship anyone. Don't idolize me. I can't, I couldn't, I can't bear up. You think, oh, uh, you know, people, there's a tendency to like idolize. When you find out this idol has feet of clay, you'll demonize later on. You, you will. It happens all the time. Um, I, I say to them always, don't idolize me. You know, the, you know, uh, women want their husband to rescue them from loneliness and from everything. And I, I, I have no chance at all to be Suze's functional God. I have a pretty reasonable shot to be a decent husband. Okay, I can do that. To be her God, no. Which is great because she loves Jesus and she relies on Jesus. And when I'm messing up, she says, Jesus... Can you do something with this guy? And, and guess what? He can. He can. And I love that. And she, I, she doesn't look to me for every... And that's a wonderful thing. And I would just say that, you know, about your spouse, about don't idolize people. Don't put them on this pedestal. They can't... They'll, they'll wilt under that. It, it, it's, it's not... So here, these people are like persecuting the Christian church and thinking that doing God a favor. And God's saying, I'm going to make them come and worship with you before your feet is with you it's not it's not like before you counting it because god wouldn't promise that you know how i'm going to deal with them i'm going to make them agree with you and they're going to enter into worship like you're worshiping isn't that awesome isn't so awesome of god i'll fix them i'll save them too you you know that scripturally right he's talking about the synagogue of satan i think he's talking about jews the early persecutors of Christians. You can read that all through the book of Acts. But let's look, read the book of Romans. And I've made allusion to this before. I want you to see us in print. So if you, if you go there, for I, verse 25 of chapter 11, Romans, for I would not, brethren, that you be ignorant of this mystery. Things God says I don't want you to be ignorant of, other things the church is the most ignorant of all the time. But he said, I don't want you to be. Learn this. Get this. There are churches that believe in replacement theology, that the, that the, the church replaces Israel. <sighs> read the Bible again, this time with your eyes open, and read Romans 11. I don't want you ignorant of this mystery, lest you should be wise in your own conceit. That blindness, in part, is happened to Israel, until the fullness of the Gentiles become in. Now, Wednesday night group, we talked about that a couple weeks ago. The fullness of the Gentiles is with the church, the church age. The times of the Gentiles precedes it by hundreds of years and will end up at, at the end of the tribulation period. That's the end of the times of the Gentiles. But the fullness of the Gentiles, that's you and me, okay? And there's a blindness on the part of Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles become in. And so all Israel shall be saved. As it is written, they shall come out of Zion to deliver and shall turn away ungodliness from Jacob. And so all Israel shall be saved means all Israel is going to get saved. I mean, every Jew, every Jew that's... He, he's talking about out of Zion there shall be a deliverer. 
Who's that? Jesus Christ. When Jesus shows up, he's showing up to a saved Israel. Every man, woman, and child, in my thinking, of the one-third that's left. But that's story for another time. Back to Revelation. I'm gonna they're they're the synagogue of Satan right now, but you know what I'm gonna do? I'm gonna save them too. Because verse ten, you have kept the word of my patience, I will keep thee out from the hour of temptation which shall come upon all the world to try them that dwell upon the earth. That just said, Jesus just promised to the Philadelphia church, you're not going into the great temp, uh, the great tribulation. That's the language, that's what he's talking about, and that is strong, strong, strong evidence that the church is not going to be in the tribulation. Unless you think he's just saying it to the Philadelphia church. And I say he's not. There is no church in modern day. It's not even Philadelphia anymore. The place where this was, there's, there's not even a church there. He's not talking to them. He's talking to the church. Remember, he that hath an ear to hear, let him hear what God's saying to the churches. God promised you, you're not going to the tribulation. We'll spend the next two Wednesday nights discussing at, at length. But here, and by the way, oh no, he's just keeping people through the tribulation. No, that, no, no. I will, I will keep thee from, ek, out of, like ecclesia, called out ones, out. The ecclesia is the ones who have come out, of, come out from among them, be separate, touch not the unclean thing, is a coming out, out. That's what he's saying here. I'm going to keep you out of the tribulation. Not I'm going to bless you through it and, and work you through it. No. There is a group he's going to work through it. and It's Israel and there's others as well. But here, he just promised the church, you ain't going through the tribulation. How's that? Because you'll be raptured beforehand. Behold, I come quickly. Behold, I come suddenly. Is better understood there. Quickly, it's been 2,000 years, I know. When, when these things start to roll out, they're going to roll out in a hurry. Behold, I come quickly, and what, should, what is his concern? What, he doesn't upbraid them for anything. He says, hold fast which thou hast, that no man take thy crown. Can you lose your crown? Obviously. Obviously. What's crowns? Rewards. And there's, uh, we can go through a study of crowns here. I think it's either five or six listed in Scripture specifically. Can you act in such and such a way that God takes away your rewards? Oh, yeah. Yeah. How do we keep our rewards, so to speak? Hold fast. Keep on keeping on. Keep going. Keep doing. Him that overcometh will I make a pillar in the temple of my God, and he shall go no more out. And I will write upon him the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, which is New Jerusalem, which cometh down out of heaven from my God. And I will write upon him my new name. Okay, overcomer part. I love the overcomer part. I've determined that after next week and we finish chapter 3, before we get into chapter 4, I'm going to go back and recircle around, look at overcomers and see all the promises are ours and, and how we obtain these overcoming, overcomer uh, privileges and, and rewards. Him that overcometh will I make a pillar in the temple of my God. He's talking to the church of Philadelphia. They had an earthquake that devastated the city in the time before Jesus Christ. I, 
dozen years or more. So I think it was like 17 BC or something like that. I can't remember. Anyway, and it's a place that's still unstable in the world. There's still earthquake. You ever see ruins? One of the one thing you see, pillars, <laughs> because they, that, they, they support there. And he's saying like, you know, so when they had this big earthquake, the city's leveled and, you know, they would come and rebuild and things like this, but they'd have to leave the city because everything else would be unstable and they'd have to rebuild and there's always a nervousness. And he's saying, you know what? I'm going to make you a pillar in the temple of my God and he shall go no more out. Don't, don't worry. It's not a, it's not a, you know, an unstable situation when you're a pillar in the house of God. I always like that promise. I think it's a, like stability. Not a wishy-washy God's promises on yay and, yay and nay. He shall go no more out. And I'll write upon him the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, which is New Jerusalem, which cometh down out of heaven from my God, and I'll write upon him my new name. What is this, like tattoo artist in heaven? Yeah, I think so. <laughs> what is it? What is he going to write on us in like, in, in like ink? You, you know, you've done that. You've smudged, and he's got it on your fingers, right? But that's no worry. It's off in a day or two. Is this like a permanent? Oh, I hope so. I'd do it now. I'd, I'd, I'd get this tattoo like today if I knew what his new name was. What's, what's the new name of Jesus Christ? I don't know. I'd tell you. I promise I would tell you. Uh, something like that. Uh, listen, I love Jesus. I'm not the only one. You guys, anyone here love Jesus? I want to know everything about him. You got a new name? Well, tell me, tell me, tell me, tell me. Not now. Oh, come on. No, really, come on. No, I ain't telling you. He, we know him as Yeshua, Savior, Yehoshua, you know, salvation of God. That We get him. When we're in eternity with him, will we still know him as Savior? I'm sure. Is he going to be anything else to us? I mean, look at what right now, he, he's at the right hand, of, he, he exists at the right hand of God, and he ever lives to make intercession for us, so we know him as intercessor. I don't know if it's a name, it's kind of more of a function. Well, how are we going to know him eternally? Oh, I got a new name, he says. I'll, I'll, listen, you won't forget it. I will write it on you. I'm going to pass out with this. That's so incredibly cool. I'm going to write the name of my God. What is that? Is that yod Hey vav Hey? Is it the Tetragrammaton? I, is it a new name? A name we haven't known God by before? I don't, I don't know. Okay, New Jerusalem. I get that. Okay. That case, I get lost. I just show somebody my hand and they, oh, we know where to send him. He's a citizen of New Jerusalem. I, I don't know. Okay, I like that. I, I don't know because I'm, I'm crazy enough to think that's a really cool thing. And I'm going to write up on, on my new name. Listen, in eternity, you get a new name. You get one. Remember the, the, the diamond, the rock, the white stone? Here's your new name. Oh, Here's my new name. Did you take out a little, I don't know, magic marker? I don't know. I don't, I don't know how it is. I don't, does he know he sent you to like, a, is there a tattoo parlor in heaven? I don't, I don't, there's some things we can't figure out, right? I can only kind of speculate. I'll write my new name on you. In the Psalms he says, I've written you in, on the palm of my hand. There's a lot of writing in heaven. 
He's writing our name. He's writing, was that our new name he's writing? The one he gives us is, our, is here's my new name. This is how you can address me from now on. Seems like a bride would have, you all call me Adam, Sue's doesn't very often, you know, we have pet names for each other. Husbands and wives do. Uh, if I would call you something like, you know, what my wife called it, it'd be awkward and weird, right? Right? Like Garrett is sort of thinking, I'd rather you not. But our heavenly Savior, our, he's going to write upon us a new name. Listen, here it ends. He that hath an ear, let me hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. Is God speaking to us this morning? Well, I'm sure he is. Will we receive? Well, do you have an ear? Did you bring it with you this morning? Do you, are you, are you? That's all I got. Let's, uh, let's stand and let's uh, go out of here in song. Father, we have an heir, but it's it. Some of these things are too marvelous. They're too, they're too they're too awesome, too beyond our understanding. We thank you for this wonderful word. And uh, Lord, we want to no no mistake. We want to be this church. We want to be the church that we're not perfect, and we understand that we're not perfect. But you can be blessed with a less than perfect church. Keep our hearts right towards you. And Lord, that we'd be all done with sin and would be wholly set apart for your purpose. Now may the Lord bless thee and keep thee. The Lord make his face shine upon thee and be gracious unto thee. The Lord lift up his countenance upon thee and give thee peace. Amen.